to look up Romans 1, 7. And here in Romans 1, 7, we see how our Heavenly Father views his children as beloved. As many of you all know, the Old Testament um, was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. Um, both of these languages are so much more richer than our English language. And please don't get me wrong, I don't speak Hebrew and I don't speak Greek, but I do know how to use a dictionary. So um, there are lots of wonderful online dictionaries to help you look up words that you come across that you really want more understanding of. Um, one of the ones that um, I enjoy using is blueletterbible.org. So I went and I looked up the definition in um, the Thayer's Greek lexicon. It's within the blueletterbible.org. And the definition for beloved is esteemed, dear, loved. Another way for you all to be able to get um, more out of a word is to look it up in different translations. So go and look, um, you know, in, in this particular situation, we looked up beloved and um, beloved. So I went and I looked it up in the ESV and in the ESV, it's stated as loved. So our heavenly father loves his saints. He loves us and considers us his beloved. So the same kind of beloved is articulated through the book of Colossians. And we see this love for Paul that Paul has for his saints. Honestly, ladies, as I look at across this room, I can honestly say, I love you. You are my sisters, and I love you. And my heart rejoices with you all when your heart rejoices, and my heart aches with you when your all's heart aches. And it's my desire, it's my heart's desire that you will know God's goodness. And as a teacher of God's word, it crushes my heart when I see women um, who are believers not savoring the goodness of our Lord and Savior um, and, and consider him as an afterthought in their situations. So Paul has the same type of feeling as well for the saints. We see his love abounding off of the pages. So here in the beginning, Paul sends a blessing in his greeting. <clears throat> here in the first in the first verse it says to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae grace to you and peace from God our father so in your homework you were um you were supposed to find the best biblical definition for grace and peace so grace is my friends what God is doing in you that you cannot do for yourself when a little bit, I'm going to go ahead and read to you the Thayer's Greek lexicon uh, definition. Grace is the kindness bestowed upon one what he has not deserved. Several months ago, one of my children came up to Kyle and I, and she, she said, you know, I really need to confess something to you all. <clears throat> and when your children, I don't know if you all have adult children, <laughs> it's very challenging, but when she came up to us, she started the conversation with, I think what I'm going to tell you, 
you're going to disown me. <laughs> and so it makes us a little nervous going into that conversation. Um, but um, as we talked through this situation with her, we explained that we didn't agree with the decision that she had made, but that we would never love her less and that we weren't going to disown her. And ladies, this is a shallow example of the grace that God has given us. In our sinful, wicked, selfish, consumed ways, he sent his son to die for us. And we're gonna discuss that more in a little bit, um, but um, it's part of the, the richness of the word grace. So I want to show you where Paul's heart was in his salutation. He starts off right off the bat, grace and peace from God our Father. He also goes and he uh, repeats this phrase in um, chapter 4, verse 18, and when he states, grace be with you. So grace didn't end at the cross. Grace continues in the believer's life. Paul is saying, more grace upon you, grace upon grace. Grace is something that comes from God. What makes grace grace is that it starts from God freely without being merited or earned. The little phrase that says from God is rich in meaning. Grace is the overflow of God's total self sufficiency. I'm going to say it again. Grace is the overflow of God's total self-sufficiency. Grace comes freely from him for the believer, and his grace never ends. He doesn't barter with us or sell something to us to get what he needs. He has no needs that he does not satisfy from within his own self-generated resources. Grace is the overflow of God's free goodness, power, and wisdom. Saying that God is God, the God of grace, is a way of saying God is God. He is infinite, all-sufficient, and self-existent. So let's talk about a little bit about peace. Peace is a tranquil state of soul and absence of wants in regard to salvation and sanctification. I had this thought the other day. I see two different people walking around. I see people at rest, and I see people who are restless. So have you ever seen a restless soul? Um, we see them all around us. We see them on a daily basis. We see them trying to seek comfort in something, uh, in trying to gain some kind of satisfaction we see it at the big level, of course, with drugs and alcohol and promiscuity, trying to find some kind of comfort, comfort, trying to find something that satisfies them. And we also see that in a lesser regard as well. So a restless soul is a soul in opposition of God, a soul refusing to see God. There are many restless souls out there. We bump up against them. We see it in their words. We see it in their actions. But on the other hand, we see souls at rest. I see a lot of souls here at rest with God because we're at peace with him. 
our souls are satisfied with him. And it's because of our relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. The restless soul is not at peace with God. Um, they are in opposition of God, but a soul at rest is at peace with God. So before we move on, I have to say a few more things about grace because the magnitude of grace, I can't, I can't express it all in our time together. We have so many other things to talk about, but I want to talk, um, tell you a little bit more about grace. Paul expresses what it is like to live in future grace. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, it says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me is not in vain. But I worked harder than any of them, yet it was not I, but the grace of God which is within me. So in other words, day by day, as Paul looks for the next moment in his life, in his ministry, he is saying, it is not I, but it's the grace of God that is being given to him for every new challenge and every new need. So ladies, we have future grace to do what God has called us to do. So let's go on to Colossians 1, um, 3 through 6. Paul states, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love that you have for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world bearing fruit increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of the grace of God in truth. So we um, here we have the word heard, and it's stated three times, and then it's repeated again in um, chapter one, verse nine. So what did Paul hear? He heard three things. He heard of the faith these believers had in Christ that they were bearing fruit of love for others, and they heard of the hope laid up in heaven. So here, Paul is praising God for the saints, for, they love, for the love that they have for others. So my question to you all, do you praise God for those faithful saints that have encouraged you in your journey walk? So I praise God for five particular women who have influenced my journey of faith. Five women who have encouraged me the last 13 years. When I first was diagnosed with a chronic illness and I could no longer work, I started attending Bible study here at DSC. And I had a relationship with Jesus Christ, but my illness overshadowed the truths that I knew of him. So several women started coming around me and they started pointing my eyes away from my situation back to gospel truths. They kept reminding me of the importance of being in the word. They kept, kept reminding me to keep my eyes where my eyes needed to be. These faithful saints have prayed so many prayers for me, I can't even count them. As years went on and as my faith started to grow, I in turn started encouraging women in their faith and always directing them to the word of truth always encouraging them to be in the word. 
And then I have seen the blessing of seeing several of these women um, on, um, see these women encouraging other women to keep their eyes on the word of truth and encouraging others um, to be in the word. So this, my beloved, is bearing fruit, and it's increasing as we pass the gospel to each other. And this is what Paul meant when he said this in verse 6. Of this, you have heard the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, has indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit, and it's increasing. So we share, and we encourage, and we continue to point eyes back to where it needs to be. It needs to be back at the gospel. So what is the gospel? In Colossians 1.5, uh, 5, the gospel is referred to as the word of truth. We have all gone astray from God. We have been in opposition. Remember we talked about the restless soul? This restless soul is going about doing, we've all been there, doing what is right in our, our own eyes. Well, sin separates us from God. And this is clearly stated in Colossians 1.21. For you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. This is the reality of being separated from God because of our sinful state. God sent his son to die for us. We didn't deserve it, yet he did something amazing for us on the cross. He carried the burden of sin. So we didn't have to. And it states this in Colossians 1.20. And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth and heaven, making peace with the blood of the cross. And then again in 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Have you ever felt the burden of sin? David describes the burden of sin in Psalms 51 as ever being before him. It states, for I know my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. Christ carried the burden of sin, and we didn't have to. Honestly, I don't want anybody carrying something that I did or taking the fault for what I did. Yet graciously, Christ did it without asking permission of me. He just did it for us. I can't imagine what the weight of all of our sins is on Jesus. Our sin is so burdensome for us to carry. Can you imagine what that sin was for Jesus to carry? He only, the perfect son of God, could carry that kind of weight for us. So it didn't end there. He went on and he conquered death. And death is scary. I don't know if you all have ever been at death's door or if you've been by the bedside of someone dying. It's scary. The, the unknown of death is scary. But Jesus went and he conquered the unknown so we didn't have to fear it anymore. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty five, it says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your, your sting? And then in verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There, Jesus went to the depths of hell to conquer death, so we were no longer bound by it. And he rose from the dead and is sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins and to conquer death. 
and the magnitude of what he did, I don't think we can comprehend that. In Colossians 1, 13 through 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. So beloved sisters, we praise our Lord and Savior who is the perfect son of God who came to the earth, who died for our sinfulness, conquered the penalty of death, so we are no longer in the bondage of this flesh anymore. He gives us rest to our souls. Um, and we have confidence that he has redeemed us, rescued us, and we have hope. And that hope is laid up in heaven. Our hope is Jesus, who is sitting at the right hand of God. Ladies, we proclaim this to each other. So have you all met a, a believing sister who has not laid a burden of sin at the feet of Jesus, that's your opportunity there to say, sister, we have, Jesus has carried this for you. You don't need to be carrying it around anymore. Or if you're at the deathbed of somebody, remind them, remind them of what Jesus has done for us. That is our responsibilities as believers to constantly preach the gospel truths to each other. Here in Colossians 1, 7, Paul calls out by name Epaphras. Paul calls him a beloved servant. He, that he is a faithful minister of Christ and he passes on good news to Paul and Timothy about the love the Colossians were showing for one another. So ladies, are you showing love for one another through the love of the spirit? Are you encouraging others in the word of truth? Or are you doing the opposite? Are you slandering others? Are you forgetting who we are in Christ Jesus? Where are you on your faith journey? Would Paul write your name in a letter because you are encouraging others in their faith? In Colossians 1.9, this is the beginning of a prayer for the believer Paul prays for all the vitally important areas of the believer's life. And we need to be praying this for ourselves and others. So what does it exactly mean to be filled in the knowledge of his will in, in spiritual wisdom and understanding? John Piper gives a great definition. It's a simple definition. Generally, knowledge is the awareness of facts and wisdom is the awareness of how to use those facts for good goals. So knowledge is knowing the will of God. So how do we obtain knowledge? We obtain knowledge by spending time in the word of God. I've given this example to my ladies. Ladies, I'm sorry, you have to hear it all over again. But um, do you remember falling in love? I'm sure everybody in this room has fallen in love at one time or another. Everything about that individual is wonderful. You can't get enough of them. You love looking at them. You love talking to, to them. You love memorizing their schedules. You take extra notice of all the good things that they like or dislike. And when they give you something, they give you a little something special. You treasure it like it's the most rare and incredible gift you've ever been given. Well, this is how our relationship with our Lord and Savior should be. We should be excited to learn everything we can about him. We should pursue him with the same passion. 
we should be excited to remember, remember all those extra details about him. <clears throat> we need to fill our hearts with the facts, <clears throat> excuse me, about him. <clears throat> and once we have, not only do we, um, <clears throat> sorry, I have to take a drink of water. <clears throat> commercial break. Okay, there we go. Okay. <clears throat> um, not only is this a head knowledge, but as we build this knowledge in our mind, there's a transition that happens that we start falling in love with him. I love this um, <clears throat> statement, and I say it a lot. Your heart cannot love what your mind does not know. Ladies, we need to be in the word so that we can fall in love with our Lord and Savior. And as our love for him grows, so does the awareness of how we use those facts, the facts that we learned. Um, these help us to know his will and to understand what he desires for us. The more we fall in love with him through the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, then as a result, <clears throat> of that spiritual wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. The Holy Spirit helps us to walk in a manner worthy of his calling. In Psalms 119, 15 through 16, it says, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. And in Psalms 111, 2, great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. So I've been married for 29 years, <clears throat> and during our first year of marriage, I loved my husband, but honestly, I think I was more attracted to his beautiful running legs. But now, after 29 years of marriage, I love my husband. I love him so much more now after 29 years of getting to know him. I love him because I have spent a lot of time with him. Um, there have been, he's been right there with me in my darkest times. I have cried with him. I have laughed with him. We have raised children together. We have argued like you wouldn't believe. But through all of that, all of that, we have fought to get to know each other for 29 years. Same with your relationship with Jesus. Uh, in our Lord, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must fight every day to get to know him. We must die to our selfish wants to put it, push him aside. We must fight our fleshliness to not want to pursue him. We do this because we want to know him, to love him, to know everything about him, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We want to please him. Just like in my relationship with Kyle, it crushes my heart when I disappoint him. And there are times that I quick, quickly, quickly run to him and ask for forgiveness. And there's other times that I really have to really convince myself that I need to go and ask for his forgiveness. But it does. It does crush me when I hurt him. Same with our Lord and Savior at a much, much higher level. It crushes my heart when I do not honor him with who I am. I have to run to him and ask for forgiveness. And there are many times in my relationship with Christ that he has to tell me what I'm doing wrong. 
but ultimately it's my desire to fully please him and to bear fruit in every good work I do for him. So here in Colossians 1.10, as, uh, so as in, to walk in a manner worthy of our Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Look, there's a repeated word, knowledge. It's sandwiched there, meaning it's important. You need to take notice of it. There's one more word. There's another word that we need to talk about before we move on, and it's bearing fruit. So in my um, journey of faith, uh, when I initially started coming here to um, the DSC Women's Bible Study, there really wasn't much fruit in my life. I was angry with God because of my illness. I was having extreme marital issues. Honestly, my husband and I were at the verge of divorce. And I started studying God's word for the first time in my life. And this knowledge of God started growing in me. And my heart started falling in love with him. And he gave me a gift. He gave me the gift of fruit, spiritual fruit. I remember I was in the backyard watering our honeysuckle and Kyle was piddling around outside and then he stopped me and he said, you know, Rebecca, you aren't the same person. You are changing and I like the change that I am seeing. Kyle saw in me, uh, what he saw in me was the fruit of the spirit God had given me. I didn't receive all the fruit at once, even... um, If the fruit was the size of a kumquat, it was so much more evident in my life because of of who I was at that time. So in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Ladies, can you imagine what your life would look like with just a little bit of love? Joy. Can you imagine what just a little bit of joy would fill in in a heart that doesn't have joy? Then the scripture goes on to say peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and it ends with self-control. Can you imagine what your life would look like with just a little bit of self-control? Even the littlest of fruit in my life is illuminating my Lord and Savior. This is what Colossians 1.10 is referring to bearing fruit. The spiritual attributes of our Lord and Savior are being illuminated from within us. Ladies, you cannot have fruit and you cannot bear fruit unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the knowledge of his will is growing in you. I'm not perfect, my, my knowledge of him is not perfect, but I pray daily that he would grow my knowledge of him. I desire fruit. I ask God to grant me fruit, the fruit of his spirit every day. In Galatians 5, 16 through 17, but I say walk by the spirit and you not, will not be carried away, carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its do- desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition of one another so that you may do things, you may, do, you may not do the things that you please. I desire fruit, I desire to die to my own wants. 
there is this constant tug of war of my flesh and my spirit. And this tug of war is going to go on until I'm in glory. In Colossians 1.11, it tells us, and this is amazing, strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for all of the endurance and patience with joy. This is so huge, ladies. Here's Paul is telling us that we can have the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But we can't do it on our own strength. We have to do it through his strength. For myself, I cannot will myself every day to be in the world, to be in his word. I cannot will myself to have spiritual wisdom. I cannot will myself to understand him. I cannot will myself to do anything that pleases him. This is only accomplished to the strength and power of his glorious might. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now as much in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Here's the kicker. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasures. Ladies, it's only through God that we can do this. It's only through his strength and his power of his glorious might. In Colossians 1, 28 through 29, it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with his energy that he powerfully works within me. At the end of um, verse 11, it says, states for all endurance and patience with joy. So my question to you is, do you have a heartfelt joy in your relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? They say that joy in Christ and gratitude to the Father is a parameter of our health soul. It exposes our relationship to God in an intimate way. So test your soul. Do you have a relationship with Christ? Are you grateful to the Father for all that he has done? If not, and you have an indifference to our Lord and Savior, then there is a problem. If your heart lacks joyful gratitude to the King, and if your heart has veered away from treasuring him, please pray for redirection of your heart. If you need to talk with one of the leaders, we are here to listen and pray for you. Pray for you. I love, love, love this quote from John Piper. It says, if Christ is not satisfying to be with, there is no salvation. He is not merely the rope that pulls us from the threatening waves. He is the solid beach under our feet and the air in our lungs and the beat of our heart and the warm sun on our skin and the song in our ears and the arms of our beloved. This is the ultimate will of God, the will above all other wills that we would enjoy forever glaring at the radiance of God's presence. In this is the inheritance of light. But to get it, we must be qualified 
We must be made worthy of him. And this is the gracious gift of the king to us in the death and the resurrection of Christ. We praise God and we give thanks to him who has qualified us in his inheritance of the saints in light. This is why Paul's prayer is so needed in our lives. We pray to be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. We need his truth to saturate into the depths of who we are. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 states, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom as beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. Praise God, ladies. We no longer live in darkness, but we have been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. This transferring from, the king, from one kingdom to another, it doesn't start when we die. The transfer occurred when you proclaimed Jesus as Lord. We are already living in his kingdom. We are already praising the king. So we have a great calling. In 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, but we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We are now children of light ladies. So we no longer live in darkness. So we need to stop living like we live in darkness. We could, let's jump back to 9:10. Remember this prayer? I've only said it 10 times through this lecture. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it again. He is asking for specifics, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We can walk in a manner pleasing to God because we are no longer children of darkness. Jesus has given us the forgiveness of sin. So ladies, let's walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord and to live out these transformed hearts. We have everything we need to do this because we are strengthened. We are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So let's pray, ladies. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your strength and power to be able what, uh, to do what we cannot do in this flesh. Grant us, Lord God, a desire to love you with all that we are. Strengthen us and place a desire in us to be filled with your knowledge so that we will know your will. Grant us a thirst, Lord God, to be in your word and that we would savor every truth that we learn about you, Lord God. Lord, we don't deserve your fruit, but we ask for it so that we could do good works for you. Help us to be thankful to you in all things, especially thankful for Jesus, who is all things to us. We pray this in your glorious name. Amen.